This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Our sovereignty has never been ceded. Welcome to Reconciliation Roadmap, the podcast where we navigate the path to building better businesses through reconciliation. I'm your host, Holly Furling. And I'm Dixie Crawford, a proud Barkindji woman living on Ngunnawal country. I am your guide to developing and implementing reconciliation action plans. With years of experience as a RAP consultant, I'll bring you the insights and perspectives that really do matter. Think of us as your go-to RAP resource in your pocket, tackling all the questions that you've had. This isn't just a conversation. It's an actionable roadmap for your business towards positive change. Welcome to Reconciliation Roadmap. And this is the very first episode. And I think it's probably timely that we start with a bit of an introduction episode, a little bit of a background into who both of us are and particularly who Dixie is and how she came to be one of the most recognized when it comes to reconciliation action plans. Um, firstly, a little bit about me. My name is Holly Felling. I'm a journalist by trade, but I'm also a cricketer, which is how I first came across Dixie. Dixie at the time was a board member at Cricket ACT and she was this confident woman who came over and started talking to all the, all the cricket girls and just from there, getting to know her and all the work that she's been doing since. And I think something that's always stood out to me is just one, how passionate she is, but two, how she always goes above and beyond to deliver. She's so insanely passionate about impact. And I think it is the reason why she is one of the best in the business when it comes to reconciliation action plans. So Dixie, I don't want to steal your thunder. I would love for for you to tell the listeners a little bit. I've had to had the opportunity to get to know you over the last year, but um, I would love for the listeners to also get to understand you and, and your work. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of, around where you grew up and how you came to be who you are? Thanks, Holly. And thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. I know one of the things that I tend to do is I have all these ideas running through my head and sometimes getting them out can be a bit tricky. And knowing the work that you've done and how good you are as a journalist and definitely as an elite athlete in terms of getting to the detail and focusing on the one percenters, I knew that you were exactly the right person to help me get things that are in my head out into the world because you are right. I am focused on impact and I do want to ensure that the work that organizations and corporate Australia does around engagement with First Nation communities, particularly in the space of reconciliation action plan, is meaningful, is genuine, and does have an impact on social equity and improved outcomes for Aboriginal people in this country. I come from a little place called Brewarina in far western New South Wales. I was born in Broken Hill on Barkinshi country, and I was raised in Brewarina with my mum. My mum had 14 brothers and sisters. Um, so I grew up with a very big family in tiny country town, which is, you know, we have about 1200 people and 1100 of them are my cousins. So yeah, I come from a, a small but big place when you're a kid. I loved growing up in the country. Can't drive a manual car like most country kids can though, but that's okay. I'm a professional bunny hopper. But yeah, I spent most of my, my childhood and, um, younger years living in the country and in proper country. And then I went to university in Wagga, lived in Dubbo for a little bit of time, Newcastle, lived in Sydney for about eight, nine years before I decided to move to Canberra two and a half, three years ago. Not sure why I moved to Canberra when the winter, it, it's just cold. 
it's just constantly cold, you know, like nine months of the year it's cold. And I always laugh because people say to me, oh, it gets hot here in summer. And I'm like, when? When is summer going to happen? Because where I come from, it's 45 degrees in the shade. And we're complaining. And in Canberra, people, well, Canberrans, they talk about it being hot when it's 28. And I'm like, nah, this is not hot. This is definitely not hot. No, it's, I, I tell you what, it's been an adjustment even for me just coming from Queensland and finding myself in Canberra. Yeah, the, the winter is brutal, but summer, yeah, it, it's just not humid. It's just not humid. And that's what the Queenslander in me is, is always after. So what was it that brought you to Canberra? Was it a job? I, I've run my own business for um, coming up to six years in business next year. And it was pre-COVID as well, you know, like, and so work was slowing down. There were lots of really big changes in the industry and I didn't know how it is that I was going to be sustainable and what was going to happen for me. So I took a job. Turns out I'm not really <laughs> a person that, um, you know, when you've been running your show, your own show for a long time, you kind of do what you want and you go about your business however it is that you want to do it and you have a lot of flexibility and autonomy. And I got back in, into a job and I started working for this company and then I realized actually it wasn't for me. So I left and then I started my started my business again. And I guess the rest is history. When I first started operating my business, I would kind of do whatever it is that anyone would pay me to do from, you know, stakeholder engagement projects to working on cultural awareness training programs to doing lunch and learns and a lot of different things. And then COVID hit. And then I realized that there were a couple of things that I was really, really good at. And one of those things was reconciliation action plans. And not only did I, was, am I good at implementing and developing wraps with organizations, but I actually really love the work and it lights me up to be able to have transparent, robust and impactful conversations with people who go on to actually do really important and critical work to enable change in our communities. So for the last two and a half, three years, I've really focused on working with organizations, whether they're small businesses, all the way up to large corporates, to multinational companies in a lot of different industries, working on what is the purpose of reconciliation within your organization? What do you have connection to? What's driving your interest in this? Sometimes a lot of organizations will start a wrap, not many organizations will finish them. And Mm. For me, I'm very driven by if you don't know why you're doing something, it's not going to work for you. So I work very much on the perspective of building the leadership capacity and the story of an organization around their why to in order to, in order to make sure that what they're doing when things get tough and when conversations are uncomfortable, if we understand the why, then we can ride those really tough waves for a lot of organizations because we are trying to have conversations about really awful things in this country around racism, discrimination, around hurt and harm that's been caused as a result of colonization that continues to occur. And the effects of colonization, it's not historical, it's contemporary. And we see those in social experiences that Aboriginal people have these days. And it's important that we continue to unpack that and that we design and deliver appropriate services and support that enable change and close the gap around the lived experiences for Aboriginal people. What have been some of your lived experiences? Yeah, I've, I mean, so I come from a very big family and, um, you know, growing up in, in the 80s and 90s, well, you know, I was, I was born in 87 and 
life in the country in the 80s, pretty in the 90s was pretty cool, right? Like I went to school with all of my cousins, but it wasn't really until I was in high school in Broken Hill that I recognized that I was significantly different to the rest of my peers in my high school. I think across the entire um, cohort of people at this, you know, I literally, Holly, I literally went from a school of like 200 people, right, including the school teachers and the bus driver. And, you know, I went from 200 people to all of a sudden being in a class, right, in a year that had 200 people in it, right? So I think Broken Hill High School, which is the school that I went to, had something like 800 or 700 kids across, you know, year seven to year 12. So, at times, when I, I remember f- when I first went to, to high school, I walked in and I saw all these people the, at the assembly and we have like this, you know, in the big quadrant kind of area and there was like lines and lines and lines of people. And it overwhelmed me because I was like, there's not even this many people in Brie and now all of a sudden they're all in <laughs> one place at this one time. So it was interesting and it was also very difficult. I mean, I did experience my fair share of racism and discrimination from not just my peers, but also from my school teachers. And there are a lot of stereotypes that people had about who I was and where it is that I come from or what my potential was and what, and, you know, potential was and where it is that I was going to go with my life. And it was difficult, but also very, um, it made me very resilient and very focused. Like I experienced awful racism in Broken Hill. It was, it was terrible. You know, in the, I remember one year, um, you know, when like in the country, you know, when the football grand final has, you know, happens and then all of a sudden everyone, run, you know, they're doing like a street parade and, you know, like the bus, the truck goes through and everyone's like celebrating, you know, the football club and they're like, well done, you know, fantastic effort, which is great, right? But I remember one year that happened, it was on a Monday because it was like Mad Monday, right? I remember someone calling me a really, you know, a derogatory name from the bus from the back of the truck and spitting on me. And I was like, and so, yeah, it was just, it was awful. I, that's my country. And, you know, I do very, I very rarely go home there, unfortunately, back to Broken Hill, just because the, you know, experiences that I had around discrimination and and racism or just being treated because of, you know, the color of my skin, my cultural identity wasn't great. And that's the truth, you know, when I guess people will probably hear this from Broken Hill, who were my friends in high school. But by the way, I don't really have that many friends from high school anymore, because that's a testament to how shitty my experience was in high school. So my family life, pretty good, you know, very supportive, very driven, ambitious, hardworking, focused mum. You know, my brothers and sisters, all incredibly, you know, all good people, all hard workers. Yeah, I had a good family life growing up and um, definitely grew up in a very protective and very um, caring and loving and supportive family. But sometimes my experiences out in the big wide world were less than desirable, <laughs> to say the least. Mm, well, I can imagine that it must be such a contradiction I guess to have the the love and support of your family and then experiencing what you did outside of that I know you just spoke about before about um, your business and Gunga and what its purpose and, and how it's gone about I'm, I'm curious to know why you started it in the first place like was it that you said that you were doing all sorts of different jobs and you didn't care what it was but was it that people were already requesting that from you or did you see a gap or were you fed up with working for people? All three things, really. So if we put them in a sequence of events, I saw a lot of people 
doing what I was doing in my business, doing it for themselves and being engaged by government and corporates to do that work. And I just thought, okay, cool, I can do what they can do. But I never really had the confidence to take that leap of faith, right, and to back myself because when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone that owned a business. I didn't know anyone that had that had ever done that, right? And so it's so unfamiliar to me, you know, like we talk about generations and generations of lawyers and doctors and business owners and accountants. And, you know, so this is like sometimes a family business for a lot of people. I didn't know anyone growing up that operated a business other than Angelo Pippos, which is where I come from. He was like, like a cult figure around making hot chips and these things and these drinks called the double lemon. I'm telling you every single Brie person or any person that's been through Brie will know exactly what I'm talking about with a double lemon. But um, he was the only person actually that, that I knew that ran a business. And it was really interesting. He was a very impactful man in my life and still makes hot chips actually across the road from the football field in Brie in his kitchen. But he gave me my first job when I was a young person and um, and I was just watching how he built relationships with people. And so there was that there's that core memory, to be honest, that kind of sits there from Angelo and what he taught me and how I saw him engaging with his customers. And so fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years down the track, I saw people doing what what I know that what I had definitely have the skill set and capability to do, but I was so afraid of doing that work because it would take time around relationship building and I wasn't confident around that. But then I remembered Angelo, right? And when you do work with people and you're building relationships, you're building trust and you're building respect around your ability to help them solve the problems that they have. So there's that factor. And then the final thing was that one day I just got the shits in business at work and I just honestly was like, I'm not doing this work anymore. I loved my career in the public service in New South in New South Wales. I worked with some incredible people, lifelong friends, you know, like I, I left in 2000. There's one workplace that I worked in in 2009 and we still have an annual get together every year, you know, which is great for us because life has changed so much. But yeah, I just, I didn't see myself working in the public service for any longer than what I needed to to be because to be honest, throughout my career, I probably worked for some people that I was so much smarter than, right? And they just took credit from my ideas. And this is relatable for a lot of people in the world, right? But I just got sick of that. I was like, I am not copying that anymore. I'm not copying you taking my ideas and taking credit for that. I'm not copying you thinking that you're better than me because you're in a higher position. You're an idiot. And I'm so much more engaged, smarter, impactful than what you are. For some reason, you're just in a higher position than me. And so I had that real sense of like, no, I'm not going to muck. I'm not going to continue to muck around in in a career and just kind of, you know, continue to wait for someone to validate who I am as a woman, who I am as a leader, and certainly what it is that I can contribute to from an impact perspective. So I got the shits and quit my job and the rest is history. Uh, That's very cool. And almost nice that everything kind of lined up for you. Not only were you, I guess, seeing it to be true that this is an area that a lot of businesses need help with, but also too, you had the opportunity in front of you and you had the mentors and and the people who've gone before you as such to, to show what was possible. I um, would love to know or love for the listeners to hear too, what is your why? Like why, do, why are you who you are and, and why do you do what you do? 
Oh gosh, that feels like a therapy question, to be honest, Holly. Like, should we? I apologize. I know this is the first episode, but yes, correct. (laughs) Let's put the jug on. Someone put the jug on and cut me up some cheese and sayos. (laughs) But by the way, you cannot have sayos without salt and pepper, right? Like, it's just. It has to be, has to be done. Very true. Um, so my why really, there's a couple of different reasons, a couple of different whys that I have. The first is that I come from a health background. I did a health science degree, um, majored in mental health and I grew up really in the health system. And most of my family have either worked in education or they've worked in health and wellbeing. And my mum worked in health and health and, um, and mental, social and emotional wellbeing. So I kind of followed her foot tracks there. Yeah, I guess as time went on and I kept saying yes to different opportunities around health, I became very passionate and committed to pediatric healthcare. And it's really important that we recognize that even though there, we say that there are health services that exist in this country for any population, it is absolutely crucial that we recognize that just because a service exists doesn't mean that it's, that it is accessible, right? Accessibility and access are two very, very different things. And so when I worked at this organization called New South Wales Kids and Families, I became very interested in the life course of health and well-being for, you know, for, for pregnant women all the way through to, you know, when children and young people were turning 17, 18, and then moving into transitioning from pediatrics into the adult healthcare system. So I was very passionate about that experience and, you know, we want kids to be healthy and well because we want them to make sure that they can actively participate in education because education links to, you know, employment opportunities and employment leads to greater economic independence and greater economic independence means that there's an opportunity for you to live a self-determined and autonomous life, right? So I've always been really passionate about health and I got very focused on an illness which is not necessarily um, seen so often in non-Aboriginal communities, but rheumatic heart disease. So my why really has been about trying to connect corporate Australia, particularly in the healthcare space with First Nations communities to to address inequitable health outcomes for Aboriginal people because the reality is is that corporate Australia has far more resources and more potential for impact than what your average community-controlled organisation has or an NGO, right? So I wanted to make a really strong and important link between corporate Australia and First Nations communities so we can actually create equitable opportunities for Aboriginal people and First Nations communities across the entire country. So that was my first why. And my second why was that I just want to see change, right? And I want to see a different conversation about racism. I want to see a different conversation around education, employment and economic development and sustainability in our communities. And one of the things that I know I'm very good at is being able to ask critical self-reflection questions and just let people stew on them for a little bit of time. I know that I'm a very effective communicator. I've always been told that and I've always been raised in that way by my grandmother and my mother around using my mouth in a way that is going to influence change. And I guess that's probably the why for the, you know, the roadmap to reconciliation as well is that how do we do this work? And there are things that people know and there are things that people don't know. And I have a lot of answers and information in my head and I want to be able to share this information in order for people to do the right work in communities so there is an impact and so we do see generational differences and changes where Aboriginal people are living a different life to what it is that we currently see in some communities, right? Because there are communities that are living, that some of their living conditions should not be occurring in Australia in 2023. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. 
Do you think sometimes the lack of education or lack of maybe even information that's distributed, like I'll put my hand up, there's a lot of stuff that I definitely do not know and I know that I could be probably doing more or or trying to find out more, but do you think that that lack of information is something that's holding a, a lot of people or a lot of businesses back and what you're trying to, I guess, seek that connection? I think it can go two ways, right? I think there is either a lack of information or information overload and people don't know what to do, right? And so once we start to uncover, you know, we might say, okay, kids are not getting to school or, you know, we need to improve access to appropriate housing for people and then we kind of go, well, why does this happen? And then we start to peel all of that back and we realise that there is a lot of issues that uh, a lot of factors that are contributing to a particular outcome it is that we're seeing. And sometimes it becomes overwhelming for people and it becomes too complex. They don't know what their role is. They don't know how to facilitate effective conversations. They don't even know what they can do or how they can do it. So I think there is an element of not understanding the depth or the complexity of the issues that's in front of you. But then I think there's also you can go completely in the other direction where you become so overloaded with so much information. I think that people know what they know and they know what they don't know. But once they get to, get to that little edge of knowing, uh, of you know, knowing there are things that they don't know and that I need to lean into this, they have this internal conversation they freak out about and then they just go about their normal day-to-day business and just be like, okay, cool, I can't do that because it's too complex. But actually, how can you unsee some of the stuff, right? Like you just can't, it's just not possible. So why do you think then, and I, I feel like this is all a bit intertwined as to why you're good at your reconciliation action plans for businesses. Are these some of the things that you're seeing every day with the businesses that you work with? And, and why do you think, yeah, you've been really effective in this space and this has been your zone of genius? Um, I think it's my, my zone of genius because I have a lot of fun with it to be honest. And I think there is an element of fear that people have, right? Like make no doubt about it. I have tough conversations with people and I can make you feel uncomfortable in the way that I communicate. The first, you know, it's really important for us to recognize that I'm not for everyone, right? Like I'm not everyone's cup of tea (laughs) and that's okay, right? I'm not everyone's Billy T. But I love this work. I really, really love what I do. I love waking up. And for all the hard, I was, I was having a conversation actually today with, um, with a friend, Mark, and he said to me, you know, I just feel so, he felt down, right? He's like, I just feel down for, for mob and, you know, the yarns that they're having post referendum and how much heavy lifting you consistently have to do. And I said, I actually don't, there, you know, the week, the first week after the referendum, yeah, it was pretty poxy time, right? Like I hardly left home and I was just so depressed, but, now I'm just like, okay, cool. What's next, right? Like, let's keep moving forward with this because I am committed to change and I can have an influence on people and I want people to be educated and informed, but I want people to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because we were told a particular narrative in this country around the, the history of, of colonization or invasion. We were told a particular narrative about the lived experiences of Aboriginal people. We, we are, we are currently told a particular narrative around the effects of colonization. I mean, I don't want to reference her and I don't want to mention her name because it's cringe, but you know, we all know that JP statement that happened at the national press, you know, club. Colonization has had an effect on this country 
um, on our people and it continues to have an effect on First Nations people. And until we run into the reality of that, we're always going to be running away from the strategies that can actually make a change in this country around the overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in custody, about kids being in out-of-home care, around our people discharging against medical advice or representing within 28 days with chronic diseases that were completely preventable, right? This is the reality of what the factors of, of healthcare and of, of social emotional well-being continues to have on the physical health of Aboriginal people. And if you're not healthy, you're not living a happy life, right? And I want my, my community and my family and my friends and, and mob everywhere to live a healthy, happy life. And reconciliation action plans can play a role in advocacy because the pillars of it really is about respect and relationships and how can you possibly understand someone's lived experience if you don't respect them enough to build a relationship plus listen to their lived experience and then go about your merry way about being a change agent. And that's what I think raps are. Raps have a potential to be a critical change agent in this country if it's done right. Yeah, amazing. I'm really looking forward to in the coming episodes unpacking everything to do with wraps and and all the work that that you've done. Uh, one final question for you: What do you? I know we spoke about the why, but what do you hope this reconciliation roadmap can do for others? I hope that it gives you the confidence to have the conversations that you know need to be had in your business, at your family dinner table with your cousins, with your aunties, with your uncles. I hope that it gives you a roadmap to start doing things, right? Almost like a checklist, right? So if you're looking at a problem in front of you, right? Like we've all, let's be honest, we've all been stressed out about pulling together a flat pack, right? We've all been stressed out about trying to understand is are these IKEA directions in a different language or am I just stupid, right? <laughs> so for me, I want to be able to communicate to you and share with you my knowledge and my experiences about what makes wraps work within your business and also what won't work, right? And so sharing that information, I hope, saves you time, saves you energy, saves you arguments and being resentful, being discouraged or just not knowing how to start or how to finish. And I think that's a really important point for me because I know there are so many organizations that start a reconciliation action plan, like I've said, but they don't finish them. And I want to share information with you. So you are set up for success because if you do your job well, there is going to be a flow and effect in my communities. And it's not at this podcast is not about making organizations look good. It's about making sure that you do good, solid work for sustainable outcomes in our communities. So I hope that you build the confidence and you listen to the stories and you can go about your merry way and really have an impact with your rap. Amazing. Yeah, I do think that this is filling a, a bit of a gap that that exists between, yeah, like you said, that that information and just being able to condense it and, and really have a – and knowing you as well, the way that you are able to communicate and really simplify and make it – relatable and personable, I think is is going to be something that's going to shine through throughout this whole season of, of this podcast. So Dixie, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in. I think it's time that we wrap this one up. I hope everyone's got a bit of understanding of who you are and how you came to be. And hopefully this gives you a little bit more of a background into what's to come. Let's do this and let's go the Mets. <laughs> that's our cricket team in ACT, by the way, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Reconciliation Roadmap. 
If the insights shared today resonate with you in your business, remember, I'm here to guide you further. Connect with me on LinkedIn or feel free to reach out to my business with Onion so I can help you take your next steps towards a more inclusive and connected future. You can find me at naganya.com.au or head to the show notes.